dear brothers and sisters in Christ. God's word for our meditation this morning is from John chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. We read, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. This is God's word. Brothers and sisters, grace, mercy, and peace, all these things are yours through our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Can you imagine with me for a moment? I want you to imagine that you were there. Imagine that you were one of the guests invited to this wedding, the wedding at Cana. Look around you. What do you see? Maybe you see the bride and the groom off in the corner. They're happy. They're laughing. Everything is going great. You scan the crowd. You see the parents of the bride and the groom. They're just beaming. Everything is perfect. You look around, all the wedding guests are having the time of their lives. The food is excellent. The wine is flowing. This day is just perfect. But then you can feel it in the air. You can feel a shift. You find the bride and the groom again, and a servant is whispering into the ear of the groom, and suddenly he looks embarrassed. And a hush falls over the wedding guests. People start to whisper. And then finally somewhere behind you, you hear it. I think they ran out of wine. And how could this happen? I'm sure the couple had spent days or weeks, maybe even months, planning this perfect day to make sure everything was, well, perfect. How could they run out of something as common, as simple as wine, something that is at the Jewish table for just about every single meal? How could this happen? Imagine the shame, the, the embarrassment the couple is probably feeling as their perfect day slowly crashes and burns right before their very eyes. Now, was that that hard to imagine? I'm guessing it wasn't. Because I'm willing to bet that within this past week, maybe even today already, 
you felt that same familiar sinking feeling. Not because your wedding is crashing and burning around you, not because you're attending a wedding where things are getting out of hand, but you felt that same familiar feeling when sin ruins things. You see, it's, it's just the kind of world that we live in as Christians. It's the kind of world where people say and do things that they regret. The kind of world where hearts can break. The kind of world where something as simple as wine can run out. And yet in this, in this gospel reading, in John chapter 2, we find out this is exactly the kind of world that Jesus stepped into where he began his ministry. And that's where we find him in John chapter 2. Jesus is at the start of his ministry. He's just picked his very first disciples, a bunch of fishermen, and they're all invited to this wedding. And Mary, Jesus' mother, is there. She's invited as well. And in fact, she's the one who comes to Jesus with this problem. She's the one who notices it. She comes right to her son and she says, they've run out of wine. And we don't know exactly what Mary is thinking. We don't know exactly what she's hoping Jesus will do. But based on the way he responds, we can probably guess Mary wants Jesus to do something about it and to do something about it right now. But I love Jesus' response. He turns to his mother and he says, my time has not yet come. And that tells us that Jesus, first of all, already has a plan. And second of all, that plan's already in motion. And so Mary turns to the servants and she says, just do whatever he tells you. And so Jesus gathers the servants. He tells them to fill these six massive stone jars to the brim with water. And once they do that, he tells one of the servants to take a cup and to, to dip into the water and to bring it to the master of the banquet, the servant who's planning the festivities. And when the master of the banquet tastes this water, he doesn't taste water at all. He tastes wine. And in fact, he tastes the best wine he's had all evening, much better than the good stuff they already ran out of. And the master of the banquet is just floored because nobody, nobody throws parties quite like this. Nobody waits until the very end to save and bring out the very best wine. And so he goes to the groom. He thinks the groom must have had this stroke of genius and he praises him. And little does he know that Jesus has just performed his very first miracle. Hardly anyone knows except for Jesus, his mother, his disciples, and a couple servants. And just like that, the party keeps going as if nothing ever happened in the first place. What are we to make of this miracle? It's, first of all, it's kind of a, a strange place for it to happen. We might expect Jesus' very first miracle to be in a place like Jerusalem, where there are crowds and crowds of people where someone would be sure to notice what Jesus had just done. But it's instead, it's in this small town of Cana at a wedding where only a handful of people even noticed. 
the other thing about this miracle is that it's it's kind of a low stakes miracle, isn't it? Think about some of the other miracles Jesus did that where people are suffering, where they're dying. None of that is going on here. All that's happened is the wine has run out and these newlyweds are embarrassed. This miracle isn't quite like the other miracles Jesus did. Think about some of those other bigger miracles that Jesus did. There was that time where Jesus would go and heal ten men who were plagued with leprosy, a a terrible flesh-eating disease that would have separated them from their friends and family. Or think about how Jesus would would heal that poor woman who came to him who had been suffering for 12 years with a disease that made her bleed every single day. Think about how Jesus would reverse death itself when he stood at the gravesite of his dear friend Lazarus and he raised him from the dead. Does it get any more high stakes than that? But let me ask you this. What if Jesus only did big miracles? What if when you opened Scripture and you started reading about Jesus and what he's done, you only found the kind of miracles where he raised people from the dead or he cast out a demon like in our Gospel for today? What if Jesus only did big, powerful, impressive, miraculous miracles? If that's all Jesus did, we would still have a great Savior. But what are we to make of the fact that Jesus made sure his very first miracle was in a place like Cana, where all he did was change water into wine and save a wedding? If Jesus didn't let this miracle happen, I I think we'd miss out on a big part of who Jesus really is. John tells us that this first miracle, this was the first sign of many signs through which Jesus started to make himself known. And through this miracle, we learn that Jesus is compassionate. First of all, he noticed there was a problem. We see that Jesus is powerful. He was able to do something about that problem. We learn that he's generous. The way Jesus solved this problem, it was more generous than anyone could imagine. He filled six stone jars to the brim with good wine. But finally, I think what this miracle really tells us is, is that Jesus notices the little things. It's that Jesus cares about the details in the lives of his people. And that includes you. That means that your Jesus notices when you and you don't sleep well at night. And he notices when you have a rough day, an off day at work or at home. These details matter to Jesus because you matter to Jesus. This miracle at Cana tells us so much about Jesus' heart. And from everything we see about Jesus here at Cana, we can trace through all of his miracles all the way to the cross. Every miracle he did, every conversation he had, every city he visited, every person he talked to, we can see Jesus is compassionate and generous and powerful. And so we see that the same Jesus who saved this couple's wedding is the same Jesus who in eternity 
looked at you and planned to come and save you, to rescue you from your sin so that you would never, never have to deal with the shame, the pain, the punishment, and the suffering of hell because he would do it all in your place. And so this miracle tells us that Jesus can not only handle the big problems, but also the little ones as well. But do you ever find that in your in your own life, in your own prayers, as you talk to Jesus, that you don't always trust him with the little things? I think in my own life, I, more often than not, I, I want to talk to Jesus about the big things, the, the big, massive problem that's staring me right in the face, right here, right now. And when it comes to the little things, sometimes I think Jesus just doesn't have time for that. But what do we learn at this miracle? It's not that Jesus' love and his power is like a bank account whose funds slowly run out over time. It's not that Jesus can only take so many requests in a day because he's too tired, too spent from putting out fires. It's not that Jesus will suddenly snap at you because you just finally asked one thing too many. When we look at this miracle... We look at what Jesus has done at the cross. We see so much. We see that because Jesus could handle a small problem at Cana, and he handled your biggest problem on the cross, that your Jesus can be trusted with everything in between. That's how Jesus wants to be known to you. That's what he's trying to tell us through this first miracle. But did you notice a problem with the way that Jesus did things at Cana? It's that he let the wine run out in the first place. Right? Why did Jesus do that? If Jesus cared about his people, and if he knew that the bride and the groom and the parents and everyone there would start to worry and panic, why did he let the wine run out in the first place? Maybe you're asking yourself that, too. Why has Jesus let the wine run out in your life? Maybe you're left feeling unfulfilled at work or at home. Or maybe you're overthinking things. Maybe you're ruminating over something you said or did in the past, and you've brought it to Jesus, and it just feels like he's having you wait and wait. Why won't he answer? Maybe your first instinct, like my first instinct, is to do what Mary did. It's to to go to Jesus and say, here's my problem, Jesus. Here's my problem. Fix it this way. Fix it now. Fix it the way I want it and when I want it. But what did Jesus say? He turned to Mary and said, my time is has not yet come. And that's Jesus' promise to you. Maybe his time just hasn't come yet. But he will fix it. He will fix it in his time and in his way. And isn't that so much better? Do you think when Mary brought the problem to Jesus that she could have imagined that he would have filled six jars to the brim with wine? Do you think she could have fathomed just how generous her son, her Savior, really is? 
And I think when we bring our problems to Jesus, so often we've thought it through, and in our minds there's only one possible solution. There's only one way we can see things going. But in reality, doesn't God have a much better plan? Isn't he more generous, more powerful, more willing to help us than we could ever imagine? And so maybe the reason Jesus has you waiting, it's not because he's cruel. It's not because he can't change it. But maybe, just maybe, it's so you can better understand his love. Maybe Jesus has allowed the wine to run out in your life so that he can simply fill it with something better. And isn't that how life goes? When I'm in the middle of a problem, so often I can't see a way through. I, I can't think how I'm ever going to get out of it. But then it, once I'm on the other side of the problem, once God has brought me through, that's when we're able to look back at the problem and see how God just utterly blessed the situation. And only he could do it this way. He somehow makes everything work together in his time and in his own way, and he does it more beautifully than we could ever imagine. I'm thankful for this first miracle. This first sign from Jesus, this first glimpse of who he really is, because it tells us so much. It tells me and it tells you that when we want to take life's problems into our own hands, or when we've had it, when we're done shouldering as much as we can, that Jesus can take it, that he will fix it in his time and in his way, because your problems matter to him. Whether it's big or small, whether this problem has sprung up in the past week or it's been a problem that's been nagging you for years, Jesus can take it. So brothers and sisters, next time the wine runs out, bring it to him. Take it to Jesus. Take it to the only person we can. And be as bold as Mary was. Bring it right to his feet and trust him. Trust that he will fix it in his time and in his way. Trust like the disciples did. They had just started following Jesus, and yet when they saw what Jesus did, just how generous, just how powerful their Savior was, everything they had heard about him, everything they were starting to believe, it was confirmed in this first miracle. So trust him. Because the Jesus who changed water into wine, the Jesus who in eternity planned your salvation, who loves you, who died for you, he is compassionate. He is powerful. He is generous. And when he fixes your problem, either here on earth or someday in heaven, God grant us all the eyes to see just how generous, just how compassionate, just how much he loves you. Amen.